0: Greetings, friends, and welcome to Worship Matters, a podcast from Discipleship Ministries, which is an agency of the United Methodist Church located in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. This podcast deals with the intricacies of planning worship each week. I'm Cynthia Wilson, Worship Executive and Director of Liturgical Resources. During this time of transition from virtual to in-person and hybrid worship, the worship team has endeavored to provide conversations that inspire worship teams and leaders to seize this moment and realize the opportunities before the church, finding ways to help those worshiping with us to re-engage and shape the church we are becoming. Today's episode will be a conversation with the Reverend Brittany Stefan on providing resources for anti-racism and diversity in the United Methodist Church. Reverend Stefan is an ordained elder from the Indiana Conference, and she's currently serving in extension ministry as the Associate Director for Multicultural Vibrancy for the Michigan Conference. She has received a Bachelor of Arts in Religion, Organizational Communication and Peace and Conflict Studies from Butler University and a Master of Divinity degree from Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary with a a concentration in liturgy and music across cultures. Now, the most important thing I think that you will want to know about this newly ordained pastor, preacher, uh, scholar is that uh, much of her role in Michigan consists of engaging individuals and teams alike to build our cultural proficiency in a way that actively moves us toward an anti-biased, anti-racist identity that seeks to diversify worship experiences and leadership as a collective whole. She has a deep passion to equip, engage, and empower individuals and teams to foster equitable communities of learning that promotes intercultural growth and development in the local church and even beyond. So friends, would you help me to welcome Brittany? And we might... Add, congratulations on your recent ordination, Reverend. We are so excited for you. We know that your work is exciting and you're doing some amazing work with the Michigan Conference. Uh, Tell us how you're doing and what your work actually involves.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I'm doing well, Uh, lots of things are happening and have begun to take off, especially recently. We are just now coming out of our annual conference season. And we've recently had some exciting legislation pass at the Michigan Annual Conference. Three different resolutions were proposed. The first that we proposed was to affirm the Bishop's Anti-Bias and Anti-Racism Working Group, which is a group that Bishop Bard put together a few months ago. We started meeting in last October of 2020. So we've really just begun some of that work more formally. But the Michigan Conference voted to affirm our work in that by 96%, which was pretty incredible. And then that group worked together to create a couple of new legislative pieces as well that were proposed. And the first one was training and support for our cross-racial and cross-cultural appointments. And that passed by 98%. And a lot of what that entails is working collaboratively with the board of ordained ministry and the cabinet um, to create and implement training and support for clergy and congregations um, in cross-racial, cross-cultural appointments. Uh,
0: Now, I'm gonna interrupt you for just a second because I am just um, stunned by this statistic. You said that this endeavor was passed by the annual conference. To the tune of 96%? Yes. Is that pretty amazing? I, I don't know.
1: <laughs> miraculous in so many ways. Um, we felt pretty confident that it was going to pass, but I don't know that any of us realized how much support we would have for this work from this year's annual conference. Absolutely.
0: So was there, what, what kind of preliminary work uh, was done in preparation for taking this vote?
1: Yeah, so... I started in this role three years ago, okay. uh, July 1. Mm-hmm. And even prior to that, our Conference Leadership Council, when the Detroit Annual Conference and the Western Michigan Annual Conference became the Michigan Conference, were very clear about what they wanted their work to look like moving forward. Our okay. uh, cultural development and anti-racism education were central to that focus, which is how my position was created.
0: Ah, okay.
1: uh, and so a lot of my role since I started is just to build relationships, to get to know folks, um, to help them get to know one another in different ways, because you know it's a brand new conference in a lot of ways in the last right. few years too. So to just start to connect people and resources in ways that promotes growth, um, towards building a beloved community. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's been a lot of traction in the Michigan conference that, that continues to build momentum in many ways, that was spurred by the murders of Ahmed Arbery, George Floyd, and Breonna Taylor last summer. Um, And while the work was already important to a lot of people in the conference prior to that, um, others now want to be a part of that solution and to become more vital to the role of that work. Um, So to me, it's imperative to help everyone see where they fit into this work to become actively anti-bias and anti-racist within ourselves and our institutions. Mm. Everybody can do something. Some feel more comfortable than others to do different things. um, And just helping everyone find where they fit in this work is really a a big part of it.
0: So did Bishop lead the study, um, or did district superintendents or pastors, How 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 is that whole um, dialogue and study um, enterprise working?
1: So for the anti-racism working group, is that what you're... Yes. Yeah. Um, So... That's been an ongoing conversation with Bishop Bard throughout most of 2020. Um, Our different caucus groups and racial and ethnic committees throughout the Michigan Conference, the Board of Justice, the Board of Ordained Ministry, a number of different entities continued to ask, you know, how can we support this work? How can we come together um, to engage this at the conference level in, in a different way? Mm-hmm. Um, and they they drafted a letter um, to Bishop Trim or sorry Bishop Bard of the Michigan Conference mm-hmm. and really just set forth what it was that they had hoped to do um, and he was more than willing to bring folks together and that's really when the ball got rolling and then he and a team of folks worked to slate who would serve on that working group together.
0: That's amazing, amazing. So you said that there were three um, initiatives. Mm -hmm. The um, affirmation of anti-bias and anti-racism was the first. And then I interrupted you. So tell us about the other two.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the second one um, is training and support for our cross-racial and cross-cultural appointments. Um, And a lot of what that is is just working collaboratively to create and implement training, um, as well as support to help minimize harm within these very vital appointments. Mm-hmm. In Michigan, we see anywhere from 60 to 70 cross cultural, cross racial appointments in a given year. Um, people who hold
0: Three those. To 70.
1: Yeah. They're not all new appointments. Some of them are carrying forward, but yes, we have a good number um, of those types of appointments throughout all of our districts um, at work within our conference. And so, a lot of our conversation has been, how can we support and work to develop resources that are very specific to this type of ministry, Mm -hmm. um, that the clergy person feels fully supported and that the congregation also helps to walk alongside that process throughout what this looks like. Um, And that, that legislative piece passed by 98%. And then our last piece of legislation on this topic um, was the anti-bias, anti-racism training um, and education for all active clergy, conference and district staff. And that even passed by 87%, which mm-hmm. I thought was incredible considering we were all... The other two were, you know, legislative items about things that other people were committed to doing, right? And that it still passed by 87% when the commitment was for the ones who were there who were voting in um, a part of that process. So what this will do was that it'll require all, um, as I said, active clergy conference staff and district staff to attend um, anti-bias and anti-racism education and training at least once every four years. Um, We already have to do it for our boundaries training and things like that. So incorporating that either in part of the process or something else, we're still in the initial stages of exactly what that looks like and how that will be rolled out next year, Mm -hmm. Um, but, folks are committed to doing the work and to continuing to build capacity um, amongst our leaders to address bias and racism in the life of our conference and churches.
0: I am just stunned by these statistics. Uh, It says a lot about who Bishop Bart is uh, and his leadership, but it also speaks to the overall ethos of uh, the Michigan conference And as a merged conference, I think that's what's amazing to me, that these are conferences that just recently, as as early as when, has it been three?
1: 2018 officially, but they've been in conversation with about it a little bit longer than that. So, yeah, three years.
0: That's pretty amazing. Uh, Are you uh, aware of other annual conferences that have done or are doing this kind of work?
1: Yeah, so um, I meet about once a month with another, a number of other folks who have similar positions as mine that serve on different conference, either committees or conference staff across our connection. Mm -hmm. I know the Florida conference just passed some similar legislation. I don't know if they have the mandated training opportunities. I'm not sure of anybody else who's doing that at the moment, Mm -hmm. Uh, but, A lot of this is still new to this year's annual conference. So I'm still catching up on what a lot of the legislative protocols have been that have passed at different annual conferences. But yeah, this is ongoing work that's spreading throughout our connection. And it's really exciting to see the work that so many United Methodists are really taking initiative on and to work towards what it means to build beloved community together.
0: I saw an article uh, recently uh, about some work that um, the Bishop in North Texas is, um, is doing and has assigned someone, a, I don't know that his title is um, the same as yours, but Reverend Ron Henderson has been assigned to do similar work. He was about to retire. And so now the Bishop has asked him to stay and do work that looks and sounds a lot like this work says uh, something about the church's sensitivity to the ways in which we really need to be, to speak to these issues, would you say?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know that the Indiana Conference just hired somebody in a similar position. Um, yeah. West and East Ohio have had folks in this position or similar roles um, for the last number of years. The New yeah. York Annual Conference, um, Pennsylvania, yeah, it's It's definitely taking hold all across the United States, in particular.
0: Right, right. I don't think it's happenstance that we are having this conversation at this time, as uh, legislation has just been passed to uh, to make Saturday the one of the well the eleventh official federal holiday, which is Juneteenth. When uh, Texas got the word late that the slaves had been set free, um, I'm smiling, but it's it's just uh, my heart is is happy about that. It's taken a while, but el- the eleventh federal holiday is um, is I think magnanimous and um it it passed, I think with numbers that we would not have expected for. Uh, the way in which our government is operating right now. So I'm, I'm excited about that. And, I, and so as we talk about this whole idea of anti-bias, anti-racism in the church, no less, hmm. um, it's, it's really interesting to me that the church is just catching up as well uh, to, to the ways in which we really need to be doing the gospel of Jesus Christ. With integrity, and uh, I'm I'm just really grateful for that. But I'm especially grateful for the work that you are doing, Reverend. I am I'm curious to know what what your plans. What What does the future look like for this program and for you? Will you continue to work now that you have been ordained as an elder officially? Are you sensing that God is calling you to continue this kind of work?
1: Yeah, I feel incredibly blessed to have been. Um, reappointed to the Michigan Conference to continue in this work for another year. Um, we're only appointed on a year-to-year basis um, as United Methodist clergy, but I very much see myself still passionate and committed and called to this work for such a time as this. I mean, it's been a long time coming, um, and it's it's taken me a long time in my own life, too, to really shape and form what this looks like and how this you know, work comes to be. But I I definitely think that our next steps are crucial, and I really feel that the conference is at a turning point in a lot of this, that, you know, as I said a little while ago, that the first year or two for me was really set on building relationships and what that looks like and how to be intentional about those commitments. And then the last really half of my time in this work has been virtual due to COVID, Mm -hmm. which is changed the capacity in some ways, but it's also opened up opportunities for dialogue and conversations in ways that we wouldn't have had otherwise, more than likely. Um, That the technology as it presents itself makes it a lot easier to gather folks together from all across the board um, to have conversation and to wrestle with some of this and what this looks like. Um, And so most of our work for these particular legislative pieces start in 2022. And so we're really going to hit the ground running. Um, We've been very intentional in the last year and a half as well about engaging in intercultural development work and going through intercultural development inventory and training. All of our conference staff um, and district superintendents and so forth have all completed this training and are in an ongoing process to continue to learn and develop um, within their own growth as well. And a number of our field staff have also already completed the anti-bias and anti-racism education and training program. Um, so just trying to model what that looks like for others right now, too.
0: So so Brittany, is this program something that you all designed or is it something that was pre-done and you all have adapted have it for your own purposes?
1: Both and. Okay. Um, so the Intercultural Development Inventory is its own product um, that was developed as a self-assessment tool for cultural proficiency. It's a, I found it to be a really good way to help guide the conversation, to start the conversation, um, particularly as we're going into groups where I don't know everyone um, and they don't know me, that it gives us kind of some shared common language as places to start within this conversation. And then the anti-bias and anti-racism training that conference staff attended was actually through a program called Crossroads which offers this training program. Um, and we are working or will be working um, with a number of folks, potentially a consultant moving forward, other mm-hmm. folks on conference staff who are engaged in this work. And we're hoping to really build our own program for our clergy so that it is adaptable and that it really fits the exact need of our local church.
0: Sure. So, so I have to ask, you uh, have just been ordained again as an elder in the church. Um, is this the work that you envisioned for yourself as you were going through the process of ordination? Um, is this what you saw yourself doing?
1: Yes and no. Um, I think that my, my heart knew this is what I was supposed to do long before my brain ever did. Um, that I started this process 14 years ago when I followed my call to full-time ministry and a 14-year-old girl from rural Indiana didn't really know that anything like this even existed, hmm. that there was a capacity for any of this type of work. Um, and it wasn't until I really went to college that I started to get new and vastly different experiences than that which I grew up with. And then going on to seminary um, and getting to study with folks from all around the world, um, both you know, in faculty as well as the student body mm-hmm. was really where... I was able to start to make some of those connections. And I know that when you were at Garrett, you and I have had um, a lot of conversations around what does this look like? What is this crazy? Um, Is this even possible? Um, This is what I feel called to do, but it it doesn't exist yet. Um, And then lo and behold, this position was posted a few months later after that, that I definitely feel got at work um, in the midst of everything, every step of the way, whether or not I was able to recognize it for myself at that point or
0: not. So so say, say just a little more about your that tug, that pull, that calling toward something like anti-bias, anti-racism, training, education, sensitivities. Would you just say something more about how you, you sensed God calling you there in particular?
1: Yeah, I think for me, it was just this longing to live into the true spirit of koinonia, Mm -hmm. life of the church, um, and to know deep within myself that the church should be leading the movement in the Mm spirit of hospitality and welcoming the difference. Um, But I didn't always see that as true, necessarily. Um, And I think that being the body of Christ and true Christian fellowship with one another is fundamentally contradictory to the fear of those who are different than us. Um, And I think just trying to reconcile all of that is really where that that tug um, initiated. And Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, within the the spirit of Pentecost and what the gospel mandates for us is all of that work that the Big C Church started Mm -hmm. um, in that Pentecost moment, you know, embracing and responding to diversity and the fact that not everyone was the same. We didn't all have to think alike or act alike or be alike, but we all understood one another in that moment. Um, and what does it mean to really be with one accord? Um, and so that's that's really what compelled that initial tug within me.
0: I am, I'm so encouraged um, by your story and I'm encouraged by the call that you've heard. And more importantly, I am encouraged by your yes to that call because not everyone has the chutzpah, the the courage to answer such a call. It places you in a strange land, I I would surmise. And I I think that you probably find yourself in places and spaces that are alien uh, to you. And so you've actually found a place called home amongst otherness. And that is exciting. It it encourages me about how the church is actually moving toward koinonia, how the church is actually creating the safe space for persons like yourself. I'm just so thankful that you found a place in the United Methodist Church to live out this call. I'm just so excited about that. And and I'm, I'm just, I can't wait to see how God's going to use you Going forward, you said something earlier that uh, some of you, others like you, uh, get together periodically. So they, I, I'm assuming that there are a number of persons who have answered a similar call. So you all, how, about how many of you, and uh, how often do you get together?
1: Yeah, uh, we're continuing to welcome new folks into the fold um, from month to month, which is always exciting. It means that other conferences are really starting to take this work very seriously um, and to engage in conference staff positions and things like that. I wanna say there are anywhere from 12 to 15 of us that meet on a given basis. Now the group is a bit larger than that and it's growing, Um, but yeah, we meet monthly um, to just discuss what's going on, to kind of collaborate and coordinate with one another. We share resources Um, and just encourage one another and the similarities as well as the differences in our own call stories too and the work that we've been called to do.
0: Um, I I have a a feeling that there are those who are listening who are just surprised even to hear that this kind of work is actually happening in our church and might be interested in hearing a little more about uh, how this work is developing in the United Methodist Church. After all, you know, we keep uh, inching and inching toward general conference, and everybody's wondering what's going to happen. Uh, but I, I think that uh, there probably are listeners who are um, encouraged that this kind of work is, is happening, and they might even be interested in following that kind of um, trajectory for themselves. Uh, so if that is the case, then what would you say to a person who finds themselves in this place uh, where it, it's it's a strange and different place, um, and they, they didn't know it existed, and so now they do, what would you say to them?
1: To not be afraid to try something new, um, to live beyond the temple of our own familiar. Uh, <laughs> All too often, we get stuck in things that are really comfortable to us, and that, learning to live in ways that are uncomfortable, unfamiliar can be an incredible blessing in ways that we don't even know about yet. Mm-hmm. I just encourage folks to find others, um, along the journey, whether they're actively doing this work or just other people that they know and love and trust to help pray with them, to discern with them, to walk them through this process, because I know one thing for sure. And that's that nobody can do this alone. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, with with God and with the incredible colleagues and friends and mentors that I have and have had is really what keeps me going from day to day when when things get hard um, or I ask myself, you know, what is what am I doing? Um, mm-hmm. Why are we doing this? What's the point? Because I think everybody has those days in ministry and in life in general. Um, but just to really to continue to delve deeper into what that might look like for them and to just start having a conversation about. What are the possibilities? What could this look like? Dream something up because you never know that when the day might happen, that it might just exist.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so your colleagues who participate in this um, cohort, are they ordained? Are these all ordained persons?
1: No. Um, so there is a number of both clergy and laity representatives um, throughout, and we tried to be as diverse as we could in terms of, you know, racial and ethnic backgrounds, location throughout the state age, um, and that clergy and lady piece was an important part of that as well. So, yeah, we have active participation across the board from both our clergy and lay folks.
0: So I suppose that if somebody really wanted to uh, talk more about this, you're one of the people that they could reach out to. Is that correct?
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Yes. And how would they do that?
1: Um, they can go online to the Michigan Conference website or send me an email. It's B-S-T-E-P-H-A-N at Um, And all of that information is, is on the website or even if you just Google some of this stuff, some things will come up. Um, and if I can't help you, I might know somebody in your conference who's doing some of this work as well. And I would be more than happy to connect you with them as well.
0: Well, Reverend, it's been a pleasure. Thank you again for joining us today and for talking to us about these wonderful programs that the Michigan Conference, the Michigan Annual Conference, Bishop Bard, yourself, and others have put your shoulders to the wheel and you're actually uh, creating a new world uh, amongst United Methodists, not only in the Michigan Conference, but uh, across the church. And uh, I just, I'm so encouraged today. You have really made my day and I'm excited about you. I'm so glad that we have a Brittany Stephen in our United Methodist Church uh, doing this incredible work. Uh, I want to say to our listening audience, that you really do want to be in touch with this young clergy woman who has really found her niche in ministry, uh, just unexpectedly finding herself in strange territory, but at the same time forging new ground. Um, I'm sure that Indiana Conference uh, will be trying to uh, reclaim you, uh, it, is, it says your membership is actually there, but I know that Bishop Bart will, <laughs> will probably do whatever he has to do to hold on to you. What a blessing it is. Thank you again. If you have questions for Brittany. Again, would you say your um, your information for contact for us once more?
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Wilson. It was a delight to be a part of this conversation today. And if anybody wants any more information, they can reach me by email is the easiest way. And my email is b-s-t-e-p-h-a-n at org. So it's the first initial of my first name and then my last name at michiganumc.org.
0: Wonderful. Friends, we really appreciate you joining us today. And we certainly hope we know that this has been helpful to you. We're just sure of it. And remember that you can find more information still at our website, which is umcdiscipleship.org. Again, it's umcdiscipleship.org. And we want you to tell us what you think uh, about these conversations or any ideas that you have about other conversations that we might consider in future times. But until next time, we'll be praying for you. Uh, We'll be praying with you and your congregation and your communities. And we pray that God will continue to bless you and your ministry as you make disciples for the transformation of the world. God bless you. This podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.